Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 254 for Monday, July 17th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, also known as Pixariffs without a PC. Hello, sir. Hello. Yes, I am still without a PC. You can hear more about that in The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast which our patrons get to listen to. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. You'll get invited to our Discord, and you'll get a private RSS feed with a bunch of extra content on there, including an extended version of the show. We've also heard about Joel's latest qualifications as a barbecue pit master, which are going to be assessed, <laughs> I think, by some of our friends in, in that area. Um, but our patrons also get a bunch of extra stuff and have been responsible for unlocking various tiers of different stuff we do on the podcast today is our chunk mail dispenser episode which is one of our early milestone goals that we hit and we're also going to have a probably a two-month edition of the monthly minecraft hangout with our patrons uh, hopefully towards the end of the month providing i have my pc back and that's where everybody gets to share their stories for what they've been doing in minecraft on the last couple of months and this will be rescheduled from one where we were going to be talking about everybody's 1.20 adventures so i'm sure people have a whole library of things that they want to share with us um the quarterly hangout date is also going to be to be confirmed but that's where we share all of the behind the scenes facts and figures about the way the podcast looks viewers wise uh, listeners wise all that kind of stuff so if you're interested in any of that once again patreon.com slash the spawn chunks so i know you have not been recording new episodes of the survival guide with the pc out for repair but what's new what has been uh, published on the youtube channel this so week? yeah this week on the minecraft survival guide because <laughs> yeah i i've not played any minecraft for a week um, the most recent episode today uh, is covering huge copper and iron veins. So I found a couple of those quite early in the caving experience around uh, around this this base, and I eyeballed the huge iron vein straight away and thought that's going to be really useful. But I didn't really want to tackle it until a bit later once we had fortune and could get as much of it out out of the the vein as possible. And I even considered for a while setting up an iron farm, setting up a copper farm, and then sort of measuring their output against the output from mining that stuff manually with fortune and everything, which I've done with iron veins in the past, but now I know how to make a proper high output copper farm. Um, I was considering doing that. But I thought, let's at least start things out with the basic mining experience before we bring all of the technical stuff in as well. And I expect I'll be able to find a huge copper vein somewhere else that I can benchmark that against. Um, so that's naturally going to set up the rest of this week's episodes, which are about automated smelting and then beekeeping, because, of course, you need a lot of honeycomb to wax the copper. And that's going to lead into honey blocks and more technical stuff with those, all of the other things you can do with honeycomb. The fact that you can wax signs now um, is also a really a fun aspect of having a honeycomb farm nice and early. So that's helping my, my storage get organized. Uh, earlier in the week, I introduced automatic sugarcane farming and got some really helpful tips from my community, actually, on how to make a more effective farm, because I'd known about the uh, the quasi-connectivity methods of breaking sugarcane, um, which effectively allow you to break sugarcane individually instead of having that row of observers where all of the pistons break at once. And I always knew that it was more effective to have the pistons kind of firing individually instead of all in one big 
cluster but then people corrected me on some of the the technical behind the scenes stuff about how sugarcane grows and stuff like that so once again survival guide being a learning experience for viewers is also a massive learning experience for me because there are always going to be people who have specialist knowledge that i haven't quite touched on yet um so nice. note to self introduce mud blocks soon because you can grow sugarcane on mud blocks and then if it's broken by pistons and falls on the mud hoppers can still collect that from underneath without the need for a hopper minecart system because it's nice. not a full block so that was another thing but now that i have a bunch of iron from mining out that huge iron vein definitely going to have enough to make some more hoppers right so naturally these things all kind of feed into themselves and in between those two things i took an introductory look at potion brewing which was still missing a few potions i haven't been to the end to get dragon's breath yet uh i haven't got enough turtle breeding done to have a turtle master potion but those are definitely the less essential potions and um i got to explore some fun mechanics that people often forget about like the way if you splash a creeper with a splash potion when it explodes it leaves behind a lingering potion cloud similar to lingering potions that you craft yourself so like there's some cool stuff with potion brewing that i feel like doesn't get touched on as often but i was able to uh go into a cave use night vision to look around and really kind of show people the the ins and outs of basic potion brewing so had a lot of fun with that episode i was really happy with that one and uh, yeah this week a bit more automatic smelting and an automatic honeycomb farm to round things out so now that you're into potion brewing and doing some automation are you looking at doing like automated potion brewing maybe at some stage i think that's maybe further down the line probably set up mm. a small auto brewer for something that you're going to need a lot of like fire resistance potions um water but, breathing yeah water breathing that yeah. kind of stuff and and sooner or later like this this obviously branches off into so many different activities like once i have a decent supply of water breathing potions i can start to look at ocean monuments and go brushing ocean ruins for more like archaeology stuff and pottery sheds and and like sniffer eggs and stuff like that you know there's a, a ton of uh a ton of different ways that they can go from here and that's even before we get to the end and talking about shulker boxes and everything else. So I'm <laughs> I'm I'm sort of spoiled for choice when the PC gets back. And right. in the meantime, I'm I'm probably gonna start making a list of like this is the order I want to tackle some of these topics because I, I keep reminding myself, oh yeah, horses. I should be talking about horses and camels are new. And there's so many different aspects of the game that I keep having to remind myself exist for the purposes of making tutorials about them. I should have remembered the whole mud block tip when I was making my bamboo farm. Although I say that now and I don't remember or know whether you can grow bamboo on mud blocks. I think you should be able to. I think it, it, it can grow most of the stuff that dirt can with the exception of like farm crops. I'm right. pretty sure that's how it works. But don't quote me on that just in case it turns out to be wrong. Yeah, because I had to put like a hopper minecart and it's different uh, with bamboo because bamboo actually has like a hitbox. So if, if a piece of bamboo falls on the bottom piece of pam bamboo that's that's there um it will like hover there you'll there's a little bit of loss in in the like the little farm that i made for the last couple of weeks to give myself like a double chest of bamboo um was like there was a little bit of a loss happening because every now and again a bamboo item would land on the stump of the bamboo and just kind of hover there and not get picked up whereas sugarcane doesn't have that hitbox I have a model, like I have a, a texture pack for Sugar King that gives it a 3D box uh, from Vanilla Tweaks, I think. But it, it Sugar King, like you can walk through Sugar King, whereas mm -hmm. you can't walk through bamboo. So I'm curious about, you know, that because that would certainly help with like my bamboo 
farm designs because um, a lot of people do like the flying machine one. I was doing a piston one that just kind of snapped all the pistons at once whenever any bamboo grew. So like, again, kind of like the very straightforward way that you would have approached it at first before you made all your tweaks and stuff. But what I'm curious about, and I think I did this once in a bamboo farm when I was first playing with them on a, on a snapshot world where I made sure that the pistons like stayed out a little bit longer and it kind of like helped push everything forward. And so the the bamboo could not fall on on the the stump because the stump was covered up yeah and ultimately when the pistons retracted there was a greater chance of that last bamboo item not landing on the stump and landing somewhere just off to the side so it could get collected yeah yeah there's there's definitely a few ins and outs with different farms but i think it's uh yeah it's an it's a mechanic that's worth exploring you can plant a surprising amount of stuff on mud um, as far as the bamboo farm goes, have you found like any uses for bamboo around West Hill this week, or is it still uh, not quite fitting in with the color palette? No, it, it doesn't fit in with the color palette. I haven't really explored much of that. Um, I've used some new items from 1.20, but I've not used a lot of the new textures because they haven't quite found their way into West Hill. Um, I did I did play with some cherry wood this week, though. I took a break from West Hill, actually, and uh, Cosmic... Uh, server mate and moderator in our, our chat uh, had a request uh, they had a sniffer farm where uh, of course flowers so uh, the sniffers were digging up uh, pitcher plants and torch fire plants torch fired well they're they're digging up the seeds for the torch flower plant and the pitcher plant and um, at a pretty good clip actually and, and so they wanted a minecart collection underneath it. Pretty standard, nothing crazy. The minecart doesn't even stop. It just kind of continuously dumps things into a hopper. That's a little, goes into a little water stream, which I just thought would be aesthetic at the top. And so I, I encased the water stream in some pink glass and some cherry wood trapdoors, and then used cherry logs and cherry wood and cherry um, leaves and, or cherry blossoms rather, and then the pink petals. All around it with a pink shulker box uh it was a lot of pink <laughs> by yeah. request uh which goes to match the aesthetic because the 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 sniffer farm has uh like a cherry wood fence lattice work uh with like camp like extinguished campfires and hanging kind of cherry blossoms so i kind of made it to, to match uh but even in the like once i got all the mechanics set up in the basement which was like an hour uh, I then had the other hour to like decorate the outside. And then that one hour, there was more than half a stack of each kind of seed. And Cosmic only has like three sniffers going around this very small area. Like it's mm, not a yeah. massive field. And I thought, okay, that's cool. Like, I, so it was my first experience with sniffers. It was my first experience really playing with, with cherry wood. Uh, and I, it was fun. It's very pretty. It, like, I, it's not like I don't like it. It just doesn't match West Hill right yeah. now. Uh, I might be able to sneak it into like some of the bedrooms in the keep or like some fancy places. Maybe I might be able to, to do it. But for now, I'm, I've not used it in, in any of my builds yet. Uh, I really like the stripped cherry logs. Yeah, they're very soft. They're light textured. I can see them being used for things other than looking like wood. Like I can see it being used for like pink highlights in a sci fi build or stuff like that. Steampunk or or um even cyberpunk like there's a bunch of different uses for them and uh the um the cherry trapdoors are also very cool too very decorative uh so i can see a lot of uses for that so i really enjoyed messing with those i really had a lot of fun randomly scattering the pink petals around 
uh, and just kind of like turning my player different directions to get like random patterns, like all kinds of really fun stuff. The possibilities there are really cool. We actually have an email about that later. And um, I I went back to West Hill and I was tempted to, to do more work with cherry blossoms, but ultimately I feel like I should start working on like the inside of the um, the library and, and the, the keep. And so I started adding the details inside of the West Hill keep. I started with the basement stairs and then I worked my way up to the East Hall library. And I had always intended for this to be a room full of books, but then I put this giant window situation on the east face of it, which gives a lot of really nice light, especially first thing in the morning. And uh, I ended up doing the wall kind of like behind you and along the sides, just kind of like a giant U of chiseled bookshelves. And I was holding off on this on purpose because I knew that this update was coming. And so I added in a ton of chiseled bookshelves. I had to scour the server looking for leather so I could make more books because it took like four or five stacks of, of books to fill this all in. But I love the color it adds to the room. I really enjoyed the, the changes that I made to the floor. I changed the floor to have um, deep slate tile and then I did uh, like a warped hyphae, warped wood and prismarine carpet. Like I just kind of inlaid blocks into the ground to make it look like a carpet and really really happy with the way that it came out i love that the color choices in the bookshelves while a little limiting sometimes because you'll find that if you're randomly scattering books around if you're not paying attention you'll end up with like wow there's like six purple books all in this one corner mm -hmm. and so you kind of have to move a few things around but they've got magenta books they've got kind of like teal they've got blue they've got green so you can really kind of play on the colors that are present in the bookshelves to choose an accent color. I originally had a red carpet, but it looked kind of evil with the black floor. So <laughs> yeah, a little like bit Dracula's really castle at, kind of. Yeah, aesthetic, yeah, it looked yeah. like a Dis Disney villain library, you know. Yeah, and so I, I decided to dial it back. I tried some purple, and that was okay because there are those purple books, like I said, in the bookshelves. But ultimately, there's green and like a light blue kind of teal book. And I had used some uh, warped hi-fi in the indentations above the bookshelves in my design to add some color. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I used that in the floor. So the whole thing kind of ties together. The light blue glass, uh, it, it's not cyan glass. I think I've got cyan glass in the other hall. So I may actually go back and like double down and remove the light blue glass in the in the windows and replace it with cyan glass just to kind of really make it all feel cohesive. But the light blue works too because there's a lot of blue in the bookshelves and so i was really happy with the way that they worked out um the rest of the builds were really hard to get screenshots of because it's the hallway leading up to the the bookshelf room and it's it's like a three by three hallway so it's hard to get a screenshot and i just continued the floor from the hall with some changes i'm trying to like figure out how to do a bunch of different things inside and have it all tied together the best decisions i've ever made is having my walls be two blocks thick so as I'm designing most of the interiors, they don't really affect the room next to them. Yeah. yeah. Or, so or I shouldn't say that. They don't affect the outside wall, which is good. And you've got room to add like a, a wood panel kind of effect in this library sure. room with the, the, with the bookshelves. And it's not going to add a wood panel wall to the neighboring room, which might be like the exactly. kitchen or something where that really wouldn't feel appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, there is one shared wall because, again, like I had to renovate the keep and there's one shared wall in the hallway that's actually the back of the chimney. Mm -hmm. And so I had to change the idea of the hallway from a stone and andesite hallway to a brick hallway because I preferred the brick look inside the chimney when you're in the kitchen looking yeah, at the yeah. fireplace. 
And so I, I made that change. But the good news was that like the outside wall of the keep has a, a too thick, you know, um, block wall. So me changing the inside, the brick did not affect the outside, which is all andesite and all stone and has that gradient and all that kind of stuff. So it, it really worked out quite well. I was, I was quite happy with it. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to more. The one thing that kind of, um, I guess, held me back from really calling this done the data pack that I use, uh, Tables and Chairs, which is an older version of it, is now not l working in 1.20. Uh, and whenever I break a chair or try to place a new table, I just get the trapdoor, which is how they're used. There's some sort of data that's attached to the trapdoor, and then that's used to then display the model of the chair that you want. Yeah. And the issue there is that like that means that I can't break or move anything in West Hill that's a chair or a table or part of this data pack because I can't replace it. Mm. I can't build the, the carpentry table. I can't make a new chair. I can't do anything. And so my fear is that the new update to this data pack, uh, which I believe has been rewritten, will then either remove or like cause all of my old tables and chairs to display as trapdoors. And I, like, I don't want to go around this entire town and replace tables and chairs like it, it yeah. would take forever yeah and so i have to figure out if i can use both data packs at once like use the new one to make new stuff but then use the old one so that the other stuff displays properly and it just kind of takes me down this you know frustrating rabbit hole of when you're working with mods and when you're working with data packs and they have been updated quote unquote but then the the author has changed the way that everything works uh, thus breaking the way that everything worked before for like no apparent reason and it just it's it really gets frustrating and i mean like there's nothing you can do it's it's the risk you take when you're you know using a community written mod or, or data pack and again i like the data pack i think it's a great idea and it adds a lot i've certainly sung its praises on on the citadel but it's it just gets to that point where you're like god like i really wish that this kind of stuff was more under my control or had some sort of i don't want to say quality assurance but like i wish there was some sort of like checkbox to have a data pack work with minecraft that meant that it had to be backwards compatible or something like that again first world problem I just, it's just yeah. one of those things where like i'm just really disappointed because i really wanted to put a table and and chair and stuff in the library and some candles on it like really complete the mood and i had the time to tie this all up on the weekend and now i have to remember to go back and add a table at some point um when and if i can get it fixed yeah, it's one of those things that I think you get more of that assurance of it working in perpetuity from things like the Bedrock Edition Marketplace, where a lot of the creators right. of those maps, in order to keep them online, have to make sure that they're compatible with future versions. When we were playing a... Um, I forget exactly which one it was, but there was a Skyblock pack that I think was Cobble Clicker or something like that. It was like it, it was all about like unlocking stuff for how much cobble that you generated using a, a cobblestone generator and how much you'd mined. And cobblestone basically became like currency. And um, like that, I think, went through a version update whilst we were still playing that map. And they had to make sure it was compatible with, I think, like 115 or 116 or whatever before it could be re-uploaded to the marketplace and people could continue to play it. So on the one hand, you have the likelihood of things disappearing forever if the uh, you know map maker doesn't want to continue supporting it or doesn't have the resources to continue supporting it but on the other hand you know it's going to be reliable if it does stay there obviously perhaps not a not something you want to apply to a long-term world like the citadel but 
I mean, the Citadel's been around since what? Like, you started this world in 112, 113, like around that sort of time? Uh, just before 113, yeah. yeah so yeah. it would have been, we'd actually discussed it, and, and I think Thursday of last week or Friday of last week was the anniversary, six years mm. on the server. Wow. And it's a long yeah. time. Even it even is a for, long like, time. You hear about people having long-term servers, but, you know, based on my own gameplay, like, I, I don't really keep a world for longer than a few years, and six years is, is a, a pretty substantial pedigree at this point. Yeah, no, and and it, it, it does go back to just before 1.13. Um, I, uh, I started playing just as 1.12 dropped, I think. Yeah, so yeah. So maybe, yeah. So no, I played for a year in one twelve, and then one thirteen dropped, and then we started the podcast. Yeah, that's, how, that's, <laughs> that's that a good way yeah, of remembering time, it, I guess. Yeah, you're, you're asking me to remember before the pandemic, which is like, <laughs> that was 12 years ago, right? What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think, yeah, it's 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 been a while. And, and I think that that's, that is one other thing too, is that why I'm not like, I'm not like fiercely complaining about this. It's just, I'm kind of like getting on my little soapbox because, you know, I am in a unique situation. Most players do not have a world that lasts this long. And if they are rolling forward with the new updates and, and every once in a while resetting their worlds, then they're obviously going to be downloading the newer data packs and the old stuff that's on there doesn't matter because it's not there. Like they're they're in a new world and their new tables and chairs or their new map or whatever it is that they're doing is going to work correctly. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, I know I'm in a very unique situation, but anyway, it's, I'm hoping to find a solution because I, re I really like this data pack and I'd like to, to try and move forward with it because it's really useful in the modern city as well because like you can use like quartz and um, obsidian to make chairs to make like white and black plastic looking, you know, chairs, mm -hmm. which is which is great for for a clean look in, in a modern city again, rather than just, you know, quartz stairs <laughs> being a chair. There, so, were, um, yeah. there were a few uh, really neat chair designs that had been shared in our like community discord recently i think it's in the your base channel or somewhere around there somebody posted I a picture that. of like a scaffolding chair using a bamboo trap door as the back of the chair and how well those two go together obviously being made of largely the same material and so yeah there are certainly options but obviously if it's something you've been relying on for the aesthetic and the sub block detail of it all the fact that you're you're you know the seat of your chair isn't level with the top of the table <laughs> in in most of the the chair designs you've been using so yeah i can see it being difficult to make the switch that way moving on into the news this week minecraft bedrock edition 1.20.10 has been released that was updated and arrived on tuesday july 11th parody features in update 1.20.10 players hitbox height now reduces to 1.5 blocks while sneaking sneaking will automatically be initiated while struck in a gap of less than 1.8 blocks Sneaking lowers the player camera height accordingly. Sneaking now requires enough space to stand in order to exit crouch. Players will transition from swimming to sneaking if they are unable to stand up but would be able to crouch. Players are no longer able to sneak while riding and players no longer suffocate when sneaking in certain scenarios. Items dropped by storage entities are now centered inside the nearest block. Shovel has been removed from the boat recipe. Barrel recipe has been moved to use planks instead of sticks. Cobwebs can no longer be broken down into nine string. And fixed a bug where zombie villagers did not drop a held item if they were cured. Experimental features in 1.20.10. Crawling. Added the ability to crawl behind the short sneaking and crawling experimental toggle. Created a new player crawling animation. 
players will now begin crawling when in a one block gap, similar to sneaking. With the exception of the new animation, this works much the same as crawling does in Java, so we don't need to explain with it in the same depth uh, that the changelog provides. Recipe unlocking. We've had the recipe unlocking has been added to the Bedrock Edition as an experimental feature. Collect materials to unlock relevant recipes. A notification will tell you when you found a new crafting material. Picking up an item teaches you how to craft that item. Great for when a friend gives you a tool you haven't crafted before. Technical changes and bug fixes in 1.20.10. Many more actions now emit vibrations detected by Skulk sensors. The camera position is now used for audio system listening and ambient sounds. Previously, the player position and rotation were sometimes used for audio listening. This effectively flips audio panning when using third-person front camera perspective. Fixed over 50 community-reported issues. There are too many to list here, but a full list appears in the Minecraft.net blog post linked in our show notes. Yeah, there are a couple of really nice changes for Bedrock Edition here, and I follow a few Bedrock Edition creators who are excited about some of them and kind of miffed about some others. Um, I think first and foremost, I think it's really important that sneaking is now at parity with Java Edition. So that um, being able to like crouch underneath a slab that's at that kind of like top half of the the two block height and being able to sneak underneath that um you can use that to create effectively doors that prevent zombies or like full-size zombies from following you you can block villagers in some place and then still sneak out of the doorway there are a few really useful situations for just like day-to-day -day gameplay in which that's kind of a nice thing to have and it's certainly something i've taken for granted about java edition for quite a while I am surprised that sneaking parody was not already in the game for Bedrock. I I can't remember when that came in. Was it 113? With no, it was, it, was, it was more recent than that for Java Edition, at least with, with being able to change the height like that. I think we think about it being a thing in Java Edition because when swimming was introduced, that's when Elytra crawling suddenly felt less glitchy right and then after that right. i think is when they ironed out all of the mechanics of if you open a trap door on yourself you go down to that kind of crawling position right. um but but i do think yeah like the, so, some of the stuff like being less than two blocks tall when you're sneaking underneath something has only arrived fairly recently um and i'll know, i know it's experimental now for bedrock edition but i'm pretty sure that crawling behavior is going to uh, arrive in the full release. I think that's probably just going to be subject to a lot of community testing and ironing out some bugs because there are already a few situations that one of which was mentioned in the changelog of like Bedrock Edition players taking random damage and suffocation damage at certain times when they're just like pillaring up or sneaking in a weird place or something. So potentially that needs a little bit more time under the hood before it's available for like a full release but the fact that it's got a dedicated crawling animation i'm not certain is the case with java i'm fairly certain that the java crawling animation is really just the swimming animation and it's always just kind of looked like you are crawling so nobody really noticed but i i do kind of wonder if a, a dedicated crawling animation is going to arrive on java in future as a result of them trying to make crawling look a little bit more natural on bedrock I mean, I'm all for the crawling animation. I've always thought that, well, it's convenient that we can fit into a one block space now in Java edition, that it looks really silly swimming yeah. around. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't see it very much because I don't do much third person camera work, but I, I watch a lot of YouTubers that do. And when they stop to look at the camera and they're like, 
kind of swimming in the air and their head is kind of funky sideways. You're like, this looks really awkward. <laughs> it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I used it actually this past week when I did the, um, uh, the sniffer collection because I had a, I had a hopper minecart that only had the one space, you know, and I made a couple of errors with the, the laying of the minecart rails and I had to go in and fix them. And so I used the swimming animation to kind of like reach a little bit farther, uh, and, and get into that one block gap. But I think I, I don't think I used a trapdoor. I think I just like jumped and then double tapped the elytra and kind of like slid into the space to do that. But I like the idea of a crawling animation. I don't know how you make a Minecraft player crawl without knees. <laughs> yeah, that that to me is a little bit strange. I haven't seen the animation, so I have to look it up. Um, but one thing that I, I hope comes to Bedrock along with this sneaking change with the height of the character dropping to 1.5 blocks is something that I really enjoy and um, don't take for granted, but uh, was nice to be reminded of today. You can reach farther down now in Java when you crouch in terms of breaking and placing blocks when you're building. If you're looking downward and you crouch, you get extra reach where you still couldn't do it before. Because even though you were kind of sneaking, your your player didn't actually register as lower. It yeah. just kind of did an animation. Whereas with this new height change, you can actually reach, I think, four blocks instead of three going down. I hope Bedrock is the same because it's a game changer when you're like up on something and you're trying to decorate a wall or you're trying to reach something and you're building on scaffolding. Like having that extra bit of, of reach is good. I say that on scaffolding. Never mind. You can't do that on scaffolding. But like if you're on dirt scaffolding and you and you want to crouch and reach down, it's a game changer. I mean, you can do it on scaffolding. You just have to be out on one of the arms of the scaffolding. And it's, yeah, the, uh, scaffolding is yeah. different on Bedrock Edition anyway. Again, going back to oh. other, other things that need parity changes, like it controls and places slightly differently. And Bedrock Edition players can even do that thing where you place a block in front of you to bridge instead of having to look down and look at the block you just placed to, to make a bridge and kind of bridge backwards. So the, there's still a few things that are going to be slightly different about that experience. But I agree. I think that's a... A really nice way of like you build a stone wall you're like oh, i can probably break out a couple of blocks while i'm standing on top of this and add in some texture from up here instead of having to ladder up from the ground um as far as the crafting recipe changes and stuff go as well those are largely parity changes and i saw a few people kind of grousing about the fact that it makes sense to have a shovel in the boat crafting recipe like it's got flavor and you're kind of homogenizing it but then i do think it makes crafting boats a little bit awkward if you have to have a shovel for everyone considering shovels aren't stackable items and neither are boats but you still need all of the the planks for the wood and everything so hopefully that's just a change everyone's gonna enjoy ultimately like not having to spend as much time crafting stuff to uh to get a, a fleet of boats going especially with being able to lead boats in Bedrock Edition as well. I expect that's coming in useful for all kinds of stuff with chest boats being able to drag half your inventory behind you with a lead kind of makes more sense. So hopefully people aren't, aren't uh, too opposed to not having to craft a shovel anymore. I was surprised that barrels used sticks. Like, I, it's great that they fixed it. It's great that it's a parody change, but like, why were they using sticks in the first place? Like, did, did Bedrock and Java just not talk to each other on that? I mean, see, I I think barrels using sticks, again, makes sense for flavor, because if you imagine the way a barrel is made, it's like kind of individual planks of wood that are like curved outwards, right? And so, mm -hmm. but, and so those strips of wood, you would imagine, are probably closer to the width of a stick than they are the width of a plank in Minecraft terms. But even then, yeah, I, th I think it just... It just makes more sense for the recipes to be the same across both versions. 
and so they, they probably just disagreed initially on the implementation that was back in 114 when parity was only really starting to become a major mission for both halves of the studio to work on and i do think it it makes sense for the recipes just to add up in that way um the other thing is uncrafting cobwebs into nine string which sounds really convenient for bedrock edition because of mob spawning not being as exploitable as java edition you know i i find it hard enough finding spiders on java as it is without worrying about bedrock edition mob spawning where you get one mob every couple of chunks half the time you know um but there are still spider spawners and stuff out there as well and I don't know if uncrafting cobwebs into nine string really felt balanced when if you break a cobweb with a sword, you get maybe one string out of that. And it's it, 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 it feels kind of unnecessary to have that crafting recipe in the game when there are so many other effective ways of getting string. I don't think we have the uncrafting cobweb recipe. We have a couple of data packs on the server that we've had for so long that I forget what's vanilla sometimes. I know we can <laughs> craft cobwebs with a um, slime ball and nine or eight cobwebs around the outside of it in a crafting uh -huh. table. Yeah. Uh, and I know that we can pack and unpack string into wool. Yeah. I think we did that instead of cobwebs. Like I think our wool string is what we have instead of um, instead of the um, the the cobweb string and we had a triple spider spawner and we one of the reasons i wanted that data pack was purely to be able to store all the string yeah, <laughs> like yeah. compress it into blocks you know um and it was easier than shearing sheep and it's not like it's a big like game changer because if you want colored wool you still have to dye all this white wool that you have mm -hmm. so um i think i was i think i did it because I was making an Enderman farm and I wanted all the carpet for like spawn proofing stuff and I needed a ton of carpet and, and I needed to use the string to get it. And I thought that was the easiest way rather than shearing sheep and stuff. So, but yeah, I, I, I like the idea of the cobwebs, but at the same time, like, you know, crafting or going back and forth between string and a cobweb, I can see why they would remove it just to kind of make the cobwebs more special. Yeah, just to kind of iron things out. It seems like one of those things that it made sense for Bedrock Edition to have, but I guess maybe they couldn't justify adding it to Java. <laughs> so the only recourse at that point would just have been to, to remove it from, from Bedrock for the sake of balance and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's good to at least have some news to talk about. And um, I'm not sure what we're going to have in the, the upcoming weeks with regards to any future you know snapshots for minor updates to java edition or anything like that but at least uh yeah we got a a bit of an update from bedrock edition as well moving on to chunk mail this week is our chunk mail dispenser story we'll be focusing on email for the remainder of the show if you'd like to email the show you can send that into spawnchunkmail at gmail.com Keep it short, keep it sweet, keep it on point, and it has a good chance of being read on the show if you've got something fun to say and talk about. And I want to give a shout out and thank you to the folks that have been writing in recently. And uh, if you happen to be a, a patron member, uh, indicating that you're a patron and a landscape artist or whatever level you happen to be in our Patreon in the subject line is a huge help to organizing the emails and uh, helps me keep track and being able to say thank you to people when they're in our email and they are a, a member of the community. So very much appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, this first email comes in from Twixie Indigo, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord, and the subject is the future of archaeology. Listening to your recent thoughts about future updates to archaeology, it occurred to me that things like suspicious dirt probably won't happen because dirt isn't affected by gravity. I think part of what makes archaeology fun is that you need to be slow and methodical, and not letting the suspicious blocks fall as you dig seems to be a big part of that. 
One future update that could be good, however, would be to add archaeology to the nether, since gravel already generates there. It would be a slightly more dangerous dig due to all the lava and mobs, but that could be interesting. What do you think? What do you think could be found in the nether with archaeology? Twixie was slain by a piglin brute while trying to do archaeology in a bastion remnant. On the surface, I think this is a great idea. Like in, we've talked about, you know, archaeology and some of the things that they've added in 1.20 as being a expandable update. You know, like they yeah. can add more later should they desire. And the Nether is a prime example for like not only would you have you know the gravel and then like the the, the predetermined danger that's already there, but then the world is your oyster as to what you want to create for what you're digging up. Is archaeology in the Nether going to be civilization based? Is it going to be like maybe they switch into paleontology like are we going to be digging up like dragon bones like what like what do we find in the nether what does the ghast skeleton look like i don't know like just that kind of stuff could be really cool there's already some some fossils and skeletons that happen in i think it's the um soul sand valleys and i i'm just i'm really curious as to how that would work and how tricky it would be because again like we were when we did that um stream with Olraf and archaeoplays we had to really be careful when we were using like tools that were not enchanted and trying to go slowly through all of this stuff. And we all know once you get to a certain level, you can blitz through netherrack like nothing. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, uh, and which couldn't which could also then cause gravel to fall and, you know, remove your suspicious gravel or your suspicious sand uh, like that to me is, is really, really cool. Um, I'd love for them to add a new type of sand to the nether like nether sand you know, or, or something like that, that had like this, something like suspicious sand that has gravity applied to it and could fall, that kind of stuff. They could also just use suspicious soul sand, you yeah. know, and just to have that, that would be a hard texture to spot too, because soul sand already has a lot going on. Um, so yeah, I, I'm all for it. I, I don't know what could be in it, but I think that's a huge opportunity for imagination. I mean, why, why stop at the nether as well? Like, you, you have yeah. the, the opportunity to add stuff like that to the end. People have been wanting an end update for a while, so there's there's potential there for uh, for archaeology to expand into other dimensions. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. Suspicious soul sand seems like a, a fun way of doing it. And while I agree with the first part of the email that consistency is important for the suspicious blocks and the mechanics matching the block as you normally find it makes sense but i can i can see them making an exception for blocks which feel like a good candidate for an archaeology expansion you know so suspicious dirt being affected by gravity might not be so far-fetched and then if you're successful in brushing it it just turns into a block of dirt and the block of dirt stays there like it doesn't sound awful in fact there might even be some fun stuff that you can do with that mechanics wise so i'm, I'm kind of curious how they how they'd implement that if they wanted to but then yeah, suspicious soul sand. Like the the idea, obviously, of doing more with, say, like the fossil structures that appear in soul sand valleys, or around the feet of a nether fortress, or something like that. There'd, there'd be some some fun to be had there. And I recognise that the fossils kind of like leans more into paleontology. But what if those are like sites of worship for piglins you know what if those those end up having mm. artifacts and stuff from a previous time what if you just find more bones there and it turns out to have been some sort of burial ground like there's there's some fun stuff that you can do with that adding flavor to that area of the nether and soul sand valleys don't really have a lot of unique aspects to them in the same way that you know generating nether fortresses and bastions they're sort of largely speaking they're biomagnostic they happen wherever in the nether perhaps less in basalt deltas but it's kind of nice to introduce a bit of individual character to 
the Soul Sand Valley where it feels kind of desolate compared to the rest of the Nether. And Soul Sand Valleys are sort of the deserts of the Nether. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is where archaeology, I think, started in the Overworld. A uh, little devil's advocate here: Are bastions not already a sort of archaeology? Like they're 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 not always intact, right? They aren't they kind of beaten down and fallen apart and stuff? I guess they're populated. So at, yeah, at it's point, <laughs> is it still archaeology? I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question, isn't it? It's like you can get you can get a read on some aspects of piglin civilization from going through their chests but then they will also be there to discourage you from doing that um so yeah it's, it's kind of an interesting conundrum there but i do think it's possible to like to learn stuff about piglin civilization which is sort of the core of what archaeology is right you're kind of trying to understand the the civilization or the the the, the people from what they've left behind from objects that they would use and and that kind of thing and the stuff that they value so yeah i, I do think having having a bastion as nether archaeology does sort of make sense and it makes sense that if you wanted to add more brushable blocks in there then then a bastion would be a, a good a good candidate to do that it also makes sense with how structures are generated because all you would need to do would be to add a couple of suspicious gravel blocks somewhere within a bastion and with the amount of broken down floors and stuff like that it would be very easy for a block to fall unexpectedly so you can you can have sort of suspicious gravel hovering between floors on a bastion and uh brush that to get hold of maybe a a snout armor trip or something like that um in terms of what artifacts we'd find in the nether you're potentially looking at finding out more about piglin civilization so really an extension of what we already have in bastions already so i'd expect the loot table to be quite similar there alternatively it could be a hint at whoever if not the piglins has left behind all of the ruined nether portals and signs that there was previously a connection mm -hmm. between the nether and the overworld that players are there to kind of restore i like the idea of getting some gold artifacts or maybe not to just have another kind of pot but to have some sort of different shirt you know like some sort of like a black pot shirt or a gold pot shirt. I don't want it to be another pot, but like you get the idea of like something else that comes in fragments that, that you can then assemble. Yeah. Uh, would be a, f a familiar game mechanic. If you've done archaeology and pottery stuff in the overworld, then when you find a, you know, a, a piglin uh, monument shirt or something, I guess shirt is technically part of pottery, but like if it was some sort of vessel that was different, you know, uh, I, I think that could be really interesting and give you, again, something else to decorate your builds with. And also kind of like a badge of honor. Like if, if you have this on display in your Minecraft build on the overworld and other players either watching you on a Let's Play or on your server or whatever, uh, would be like, oh, wow, you had to go to the nether, do archaeology in a bastion, deal with all the piglins, like fight them off and do all that kind of stuff just to get this pretty thing that sits in the corner. Like that's that's a kind of a cool flex, you know? Yeah, and um, G2B brings up it could be an interesting tie-in to the lore of something like Minecraft Legends, and even Minecraft Dungeons, where the piglin civilization has a bit more technology to it, and it's very kind of um, diesel punk kind of clockwork and gears and, and steampunk kind of driven uh, technology, and so if they wanted to introduce 
a more mechanical element, something similar to what you've seen in Create Mod, for example, then having cogs that you could only dig up from the remains of a piglin machine in a bastion remnant or something similar would be a wild way of doing that. I think that'd be a really fun way of expanding archaeology into something that players value a little bit more if they don't see the value in archaeology already. Our next email comes in from Stora AS, an ore producer. To cheat or not to cheat? Hello, Joel and Picks. I've been working on a large project lately consisting of 10 identical segments. This has me trying the Ease of Life mod, Lightmatica. I have made the design in survival, which is the way I like to play the game, but I use the schematics to make sure that all the segments are built the same. However, when I found the easy placement feature in Lightmatica, I got into a bit of a dilemma. Placing blocks that are in your inventory just by right-clicking seems too easy. I know where to draw the line uh, is up to every player, but what do you think? Where does the ease of life turn into quote-unquote cheating? Stora AS fell to a certain death after stepping on an imaginary slam, but survived when he realized he was wearing an Elytra. <laughs> Good to hear you survived. That's, uh, yeah, always a bit tricky. Something I've had to avoid for a while in Survival Guide so far is jumping off stuff imagining that i still have an elytra on when i don't and i haven't been to the end yet so yeah i'm i'm glad that that existed for you you've got your parachute equipped i feel like that's the thing that happens a lot in lightmatica as you're walking around looking at a hologram of the build and the blocks that you want to place and then you go to step on something that is just a hologram yes <laughs> yeah you, you trip I've, off and fall i've done it far too many times on the previous season of empires like when i started using lightmatica i immediately looked for the setting that allows you to toggle transparency because opacity is really good for being able to you know see a building without it like looking like a big big ghostly mess but then when you're actually building and you need to know when you can walk through something or when something isn't solid and you're going to fall through it then yeah being able to set a transparency level in that mod is is essential really so you're the expert, so I don't have a lot of insight into Lightmatica. I actually thought it was just a schematic bot, but I guess you could do placing blocks with it as well, and, and it sounds like probably a lot more. Um, I liked that Stora AS designed the build and survival first. I think there's a good balance there between survival building and then using the available tool to make life a bit easier. Uh, the only example that I can draw a comparison to is Zero's world map on the Citadel. Uh, we use both the world map and the mini-map. Uh, the minimap gives us some like time and coordinates displays and a small kind of location about where you are and which direction you're facing. Uh, but the world map uh, I use and everybody else in the server uses is just a top-down look at your area at large. However, the mod itself has things like flagging mobs, flagging mobs in caves, showing you where the caves are, uh, laying down waypoint markers, teleporting within the map. Mm -hmm. uh, we just use it as a top-down map and that's it's a small group of friends we just use the honor system to say look look it's just a map we just feel like minecraft should have a map this is the prettiest one it just happens that this mod has a lot of other stuff packed in and i've used those other things because it's often a mod in something like an olive fabric mod pack when i've played modded minecraft and I've used the waypoints. They're very handy when you don't know the biomes, you don't know your location, you're in a new world, and you want to remember this is where home is, or this is where that diamond mine is that I found, or like whatever it is, you can mark stuff. It's very cool, because then it shows up in the overworld, very similar to most modern video games where you can like put like a flag down and be like, oh, that's where I need to go. Don't forget to go back there. Um, but I, I think that with all of these things, it's it's 
the story AS hit it on the head. Like it's up to you. Like if, if you feel that this is too much, well then you can just dial it back and, and not use that particular portion of it. And if you're on a server where there's a debate, then I think that there has to be a consensus where you just don't use that mod or the mod is tweaked to the point where um, those features are not available uh, in it. And I don't know, um, this might be something that had happened on Empires. I know you guys had a lot of custom mods and stuff put together in the game, but like, did you guys have any mods that did too much, but then you either tweaked them yourselves or had a, um, you know, someone that you were getting the programming done by um, remove any features from mods like that? Most of the stuff we were dealing with on Empires was cosmetic, so there wasn't really right. anything that added stuff like that in. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the teleport feature of those minimap mods often relies on you having access to admin commands, right? So if you can't do a slash TP to teleport yourself somewhere, you probably couldn't use the waypoint to teleport there, right? Unless maybe there's a toggle somewhere in the settings that allows you to do that. There could be a toggle in the settings. I'm the wrong person to ask because I sure. am the admin on the server. And yeah, so yeah. is Alistair. <laughs> so like the two people that play, you know, most are, have admin privileges. So it, I don't really remember. I just remember we didn't have to necessarily toggle it and the and the mod. No one wanted to dig into the mod. We just said, look, just don't use it. You know, like just yeah. don't don't use that feature. Yeah. Um, I do know that it gets it gives me teleport options when I am in the when I'm in the map. Um, but I do know that I, I can go into the map settings in the zeros map mod and turn off all the little, like little radar dots that indicate like there's a skeleton over there. Sure. Yeah. Over there. Like I, I, I can like unclick and say like, just, I don't want to ignore them. I want to completely don't show me them. So I'm not tempted at all because when you see clusters of stuff, you can just, there's a cave, like you can see where things are things like seeing spiders, you know, like, oh, there's a mine shaft down there. So like it removes a lot of the discovery out of it. So I, I just turn all that kind of stuff off. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think th there are still aspects of, to, to bring it back to Lightmatica, there are aspects of Lightmatica which are gated behind having admin control over a server or having, like, creative mode privileges. Um, to Case in point, when I was designing my copper aging machine that does a bunch of stuff automatically, being able to copy-paste the separate modules of you know, 18 machines that will all grab the copper blocks as a flying machine goes past. I could not have done that as quickly as I did without Lightmatica because you can just scroll the schematic over, hit a hotkey that you assign and it will place another row of blocks for you. Like it will, it will, it will place that stuff and paste it into the world for you as though you're using a clone command from the vanilla Minecraft command set, except it does it in a much easier, more visual way to understand. And so when I was designing that in creative in a flat world, it was invaluable to me. I, I, I loved using that, that functionality, but that's not available to you in survival. The only thing that Lightmatica can do in survival without access to that is easy placement mode, which is what I think Storo is talking about, um, which doesn't necessarily place the blocks for you, but what it does is if you right click on a block, it will place the correct block there regardless of whether or not it was in your hotbar. Like it will effectively do the work of pick blocking for you at an instantaneous speed. So if you have a wall that's a bunch of different blocks, so you're texturing a build with stone and cracked stone bricks and deep slate and that kind of stuff, if you just hold down right click and look at each of those blocks in turn, 
it will cycle them out of your hotbar and into being able to place it in the world um, without you having to open your inventory at any point. And so for some people, that's cheating because it's placing blocks faster than you would be physically able to just using the standard keyboard controls, right? Um, and so it, some people, it just doesn't feel all that good. Um, easy placement mode for me is where I tend to draw the line anyway, because the main problem I have with it is it allows you to place blocks mid-air without supporting blocks, which is something you can't oh, even do yeah. in creative mode, at least not without commands and using set block or something like that. And that really feels like the cheatiest thing it can do. It has been very tempting, especially when I'm building custom trees, because whenever you're building those, in Lightmatica, I typically build stuff layer by layer, and I'll just hit page up on my keyboard, and then it will show me the next layer, and then I can kind of climb up without having to scaffold up and down to get to higher parts of the build. And obviously, if you're building custom trees, you have sections of the tree branches that will like dangle down. And so after a while, you reach a point where you're placing a leaf block five blocks out from the trunk in midair. And you have to make a bunch of temporary blocks to put that there before you kind of go back. Either that or you figure out a different way of building the tree, a different order for it, right? But I find that aspect of it that's the point at which you go oh if i could just place a block like there in midair like that that five blocks away from anything else it it makes it very convenient to do but again you would not be able to do that without running a set block command or a fill command or something like that in in creative mode so that's the kind of stuff where i think it's it's cheaty if it's doing something that you can't do with survival mechanics and it's just it's not saving you time at that point it's performing an action that you couldn't naturally perform. Um, but obvious caveat, and we've talked about this a little already, if cheating doesn't have a victim, it's much less of a concern for me. And if if what you feel like you are cheating is you're cheating yourself out of the experience of building this in what you consider to be a legit way, then, like, yeah, it's an honor system thing. By all means, do what you want to do. Like, but But I think if it's going to save you time, if it means that the limited amount of time you have to play Minecraft in your day can be used more effectively, especially with these larger builds and stuff like that, I do think it's something that's worth considering if it helps you get more out of the game instead of feeling like your time was wasted doing it the other way. Yeah, I mean, I th I think that that's, that's where I look at the quality of life stuff is... I only have a limited amount of time to play Minecraft as do most of the other players on the server with me on the Citadel. And we just look at that stuff as like ways that we can speed things up just a little bit without pushing the envelope. Like I, I am the admin. If I wanted to, I could just give myself a stack of something, you know, which I don't do because I, I don't want, that's not the game experience that I want. Uh, but we did change some of the recipes in the data pack that I wrote for the uh, stone cutter for wood and I get more trapdoors. I can put a log in and I think I get eight, eight trapdoors out or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's more than the vanilla recipe. It's a small tweak, but it saves me a ton of time. Yeah. And, it, and, and, it's, and to me, it also kind of makes sense. Like it kind of, I'm surprised that this spinny blade thing uh, in Minecraft doesn't cut wood yeah, uh, yeah or there's not a or there's not a sister block called the woodcutter that I could use to do the exact same thing um, and I also think that you know because of the it's also a mechanic that exists in the game and how you cut stone and it feels 
better than drawing stairs, you know, in the crafting interface and making stairs. It feels cooler to put a block into a stone cutter and get a stair out. It makes cool noise. Like it just makes more sense. And so th like, that's the kind of stuff where like, yeah, there's a few tweaks, but there's a line. I, I, and I mean, when I was writing that data pack, I could have had that, you know, that log to trapdoor recipe, give me as many trapdoors as I wanted. I could, it could have been a stack, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> but, but I didn't do that. I just, I kind of looked at the trapdoor, looked at how many you get from the vanilla recipe, looked at the size of it compared to a plank and a log and thought like, okay, well, there's going to be some loss. It's like, well, we'll just eight, eight is fine. That's a good, that's a good kind of like round number you know, for, for Minecraft. Uh, and, and that's where I stuck with it. Right. And I think that it's just, it's the spirit of how you approach it, you know, like his, it's the, the whole cheating, not cheating thing is, is, is tricky unless there's already established rules. That's the difference. Like if it's just you, then it's just you and you can kind of make up your own. But if you're on a server that has rules, then just obey those rules and, uh, you wouldn't be considered, you know, cheating. Um, but I, I think that that's the thing is like, if you're, if you're worried about that experience, what you end up cheating is you're cheating yourself the experience of playing Minecraft. And yeah. I think that's I think that's a, a good way to to look at it because like I don't want to have to spend hours and hours and hours uh, to to do stuff uh, in in the game when I only have let's say ten hours a week that I can play. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely about what you find fun. And if you're not finding it fun to chop down all of the extra wood required to make all of those trapdoors, then yeah, change the trapdoor crafting recipe. Like, add that stuff in. It makes sense. Uh, the third email comes in from Caitlin Z, or possibly Caitlin Z, depending on where you're from. And the subject is Max Enchantment Clues. Hi. With all of the wonderful quality of life and accessibility changes being made recently, I've been thinking that it would be nice to have some sort of an indicator when you've reached the maximum level of enchantment on an item. For me, I tend to get confused which enchantments max out at level 3 versus level 4 or level 5. When researching to write in with this question, I even discovered that some cap out at level 2, and that's not even considering the ones that only have one level. My thought is a symbol at the end, such as a star or a diamond shape, so it would read Unbreaking 3 Diamond, or even having the symbol before it, like Diamond Unbreaking 3. Would love to hear your thoughts on this or any alternate suggestions. Thank you so much and have a great day. Caitlin is happily alive and well, fishing up treasure from her dock. Yay, Caitlin is alive. Hey, we got I, one. I question their life choices, but alive <laughs> nonetheless. I'm not a fisher. Hey, as, um, as somebody I, who did a, an episode all about fishing in Survival Guide recently, I find it quite peaceful. I think it's, uh, especially in the early game, a, a pretty fun way of getting hold of some name tags and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think once you're as established as you are, you've, you've really got no need to go fishing on the Citadel anymore. <laughs> no, not six years in fishing for stuff. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I totally agree with Caitlin, though. I have always and still find it impossible to remember all of the enchantments, what the max level is. Do I have a few memorized? Sure. Like Unbreaking 3. I get it. Uh, but I'm not constantly restarting my world and working through those enchanting progressions and getting geared up. So they're not top of mind. I always have to look up enchantments outside of the game trying to figure out which enchantments I want, what the level is that they go to, uh, what enchantments conflict with one another. Like if I put, you know, um, smite on this, like, does that change with sharpness? Like, like how, what, where, how do I, you know, max out this sword or max out this ax in a way that I want it to, to work. Um, I remember recently I had to replace an ax and I went through that. I had to, I had to, I didn't look it up online. I think I was asking the live chat and they were filling me in. Um, most modern games would give you sort of like a rollover or explanation as to what the enchantment does 
and like what its max level might be. Really good example of this actually in the Mojang sphere is Minecraft Dungeons. Uh, when you had all these enchantments that were new to you, you just kind of put your mouse over it and kind of explained what it did, what each level did. And it showed you level one, two, three. And you would assume that level three would be the max because there's no level four shown, right? Um, and, I, and I think that was a very clear way of doing it. Uh, I think Mojang can go with a triple whammy here. Two, I think, are pretty straightforward, but I think a third would be um, kind of pie in the sky, but we'll see. Um, I think a symbol is a good idea. I think something graphically based in the text on the enchantment would make sense. I also think changing a color on the enchantment would would um, be good because rather than looking for a specific symbol, if I could just look to see that the enchantment on my pickaxe, there's three blue and one white. I would know that the white one is not yet max and the other ones were. Um, I know color is not the best sole indicator for stuff like that. And that's why I think that a symbol and color would work. Ideally, you want to use as many different indicators as you can and still have it look, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Um, and kind of a, a pie in the sky here. I would like if you had all max enchantments or all of the enchantments currently on your, your pickaxe or whatever tool you want to use um, were all maxed out, that there could be some sort of graphical change to either the enchantment glint, which people can either then turn on or turn off, because if they don't like this reward, then they can just remove it. Um, or like something like a, a, a graphical change to the texture, like a golden band around the handle or something on the pommel of the pickaxe or sword. Just something to say, I've gone through the work. This is now a max level sword or a max level pickaxe. I just think that would be neat. I'm sure it opens up a whole can of worms for like PVP and like all that kind of stuff. I just thought that that would be both an in-game indicator to you when you look in your inventory, like the one with the gold handle is the max one. The one without is I'm still working on it. Uh, it'd be kind of a cool mini game, like pat it yourself on the back. Hey, you've got max enchants on a pickaxe that takes some work and some game knowledge, like stuff like that, I think could be done because I do feel enchantments were like the first experience for me in Minecraft. And I think the most memorable where I was just like, this game isn't telling me anything. I need to yeah. go look it up on the internet. Yeah. And that's that's where I'm just like, I'm left the game now. And I'm now, instead of playing the game, I'm scrolling through a wiki trying to figure out how the heck this works. And that's where I got lost. Um, yeah. And I did have friends to help me out, but that, that was it, right? You're kind of on your own. Yeah, it's, enchanting is one of the mechanics where the game's desire to explain itself to you and be intuitive rubs up against the game's desire to be mysterious about certain things and again this is one of the things which the uh japanese player who's doing a completely unspoiled playthrough uh piropito is completely unaware of how leveling up an enchantment table works like he's never put bookshelves around an enchantment table because the game doesn't really explain that to you anywhere and so yeah there, there are still elements like that in which enchantment is kind of obtuse and and you do need to rely on community knowledge for it i i definitely agree that it would be really nice to have a symbol of some kind but then again you've got to know what that symbol means <laughs> what the symbol does and adding multiple symbols at that point would be potentially a little confusing but once you've understood that once you've understood that yes a diamond means yeah maxed out no longer you know can't be enchanted any higher it's certainly easier than memorizing that yes Unbreaking caps at level 3, Protection Enchantments cap at 4, Damage and Efficiency Enchantments cap at 5, Knockback and Punch cap at 2. And, you know, while we were talking earlier about the uh, the subject of parity changes for Bedrock Edition, I'm pretty sure the enchantments without tiers 
still have a tier indicator on Bedrock Edition. They're like Mending 1 and Silk Touch 1, which implies the existence of higher levels even if they don't have them. Uh, so that can be confusing for first-time players as well. And I do think it's potentially a sign that the enchanting system needs an overhaul and maybe they'll get around to that in future anyway. So that might be why these things haven't been adjusted for you know, accessibility and, and approachability when some of the other systems in the game have. But I, yeah, I am kind of curious if there's something that they can do to indicate that because it would certainly help players a lot to understand that, yeah, Unbreaking 3 is the best you're going to get. The one I always forget is Piercing, um, which is something I don't interact with all that much because I don't use crossbows very often, but there's an achievement for hitting five things, uh, killing five mobs with the same crossbow arrow, right? And so my brain immediately goes, okay, so I need piercing five for that because it's one, two, three, four, five things. But actually you need piercing four because it only needs to go through four things to hit the fifth thing. But like right. in, my, in my brain, I, I equate it with stuff like smite and, you know, sharpness where the maximum tier is five, but it doesn't do more damage. It just allows the arrow to persist through multiple targets. And yeah, th there's stuff like that that still trips me up with all the experience I have with this game at this point that still you know, doesn't quite click in my brain. So I do think in the long term, it would be massively beneficial to have some kind of indicator that the enchantment is maxed out now. And in the short term, uh, Alistair from our live chat has sent in a link to enchanted tooltips. So uh, Caitlin, if you want to venture into the world of modded, as a quality of life mod rather than anything that's going to really change your gameplay. This is just a tooltip. When you hover over, you know, like say a pair of iron boots that has feather falling four, it says reduces fall damage, max level four applies to boots. Like really straightforward. It's just, it's kind of lists all that information in the same kind of window as you would normally see multiple uh, enchantments. The, I think drawback, which I can't see in any of the screenshots here would be if you had four or five maybe not five, but if you had four enchantments on one piece of equipment, this text box would be massive because it would then show you like what each one does for each level of thing. Uh, what I do like about it is that when you hover over the enchantments in the enchanting table, it says knockback one increases knockback max level two applies to swords. Like, so it tells you what you could use it on. It's just a hover over tooltip. So in the meantime, uh, we'll have a link for that in the uh, email section of the show notes this week. Makes sense. Makes sense. And yeah, I, I, I think enchanting still wants to feel like a mysterious mechanic. So having stuff like that that just presents itself to you fully informative is maybe not quite the way to go. But yeah, there's, there's a, a nice middle ground to be found there, I think. Last email of the main show comes in from Fire Dragon 19 Cherry Blossom Petal Placement. Say that six times fast. <laughs> Hi, Joel and Johnny. I recently found your podcast and love all the information and perspectives you get both give. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoy 1.20 and have updated my world where I am building a Japanese-inspired area in an old taiga. The cherry trees look fantastic, and I love placing the petals. The problem is you can't place them on stone brick, which is disappointing. You can place moss carpet on stone brick. So my question is, do you think Mojang should or will update cherry blossom petals to be placed on all blocks fire dragon 19 died while trying to place cherry blossom petals on a stone brick to make the ambience complete <laughs> probably died of frustration i think is yeah it's like it's like cause, wow cause of death this time um yeah like the petals are an interesting one it's been tripping a lot of people up and i think the reason is that the name is slightly misleading um because if you look at the petals 
they're actually closer to flowers. There is a stalk below each one connecting it to the block. So petals have a sort of identity crisis <laughs> because their mm-hmm. name and the environment that you find them in supposes that they've fallen from the trees above, but their exactly. design makes it look like they've grown from the ground. I, like, I agree with you. I think I think the name is where people are getting tripped up. I was actually... I haven't placed them or tried to place them on anything that wasn't grass. So... I've not been disappointed until just today. And I was like, oh, you can't place them on stone? That sucks. Because I think that would be a great way to to put them in there. But like th- th- the first thing I noticed is like, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure they have stems. I looked it up and you're right. I, I don't think that they have so much happening underneath them that they couldn't be placed on something like a stone brick. You know, like not stone, but like a stone brick because it has cracks in it. And I feel like if you've got a mossy stone brick, then you know it would be nice to be able to to do that now maybe the other maybe the the alternative solution would be to have a flowery stone brick where you craft a new block and you you combine pink petals and a stone brick and you get like a pinky you know block that looks like it has flowers growing up through the cracks Um, that could be interesting but yeah i i think that it would be a welcome change i'm surprised that it doesn't work like um because things like um what works similar uh sea pickles uh the candles uh, like they you can kind of place them on anything yeah coral coral fans and that kind of stuff yeah Yeah, it'll it'll die if it's not placed next to water but you can still put it on a stone block like most of the places i planted those were on i think slabs of mossy cobblestone so that i could waterlog a slab but you'll still be able to place them there so yeah yeah, there's there's such a it's it's interesting that it, it's organic stuff, really, that you've got to think about because mm-hmm. the notion of coral, I mean, coral is an animal. like So it, it maybe it can form a colony of sorts on any kind of material realistically. But again, we're, we're stretching too far into the bounds of realism here. I, I really would like to be able to place petals on everything. And because they are such a diverse block for decoration already... I think the only reason that you can't is the same reason you can't place a lantern attached to the side of a block. It's the the kind of restrictions breeding creativity kind of thing. But I've seen people do some very creative stuff with petals. I saw a Reddit post earlier today in which somebody was pointing out that because they occupy only a quarter block and they are uh, available in these different kind of formations where they kind of add a quarter to a block, they're really good at drawing circles because you can kind of arrange them so that they form an outline of a circle, but only within like a three by three block area. And it still looks like a circular pattern more so than building, you know, a a diamond out of blocks of some other kind would. And it reminds me a lot of the... um, the areas that you you sometimes find these little woodland spirits in the Legend of Zelda games, and they're in these kind of fairy circles of flowers, and you've got to hunt them down in order to upgrade your inventory capacity or something like that. But it's a, a really nice way of using them. But again, limited to just placing them on organic blocks, because if you try and do stuff like this in a stone courtyard, it's not going to let you do it. Uh, Kija in our community posted a link earlier this week that I stole and then posted in my um, my discord and it was using the petals and again the way that you place them and the way that you have that control to create a gradient of the petals slowly going from full-on pink you know coverage to dithering down into just green between 
moss and, and, and petals. And it was really effective. And I can see that happening in all kinds of cool ways. And it would be amazing if you could also do that on other blocks like stone, things like that. Or on vertical it, surfaces, because it has to be like placed on the ground, right? Well, yeah, I guess, ver I mean, yeah, it would be cool if you could do that on, on the ground. Yeah, I guess that would be tricky. But I get there's all kinds of stuff that you can place on the ground that you can't place on the sides of the stuff. Sure, like Minecraft yeah. already has that. So, um, I mean, man, if you could do this vertically, I mean, give me some green stuff like this and I would have a field day. Yeah. Trying to you know, like decorating mossy custom vines and all that kind of stuff where you're not dealing with just like a full block uh, of, of um, resolution to create like a vine or a mossy thing. Because right now I do it with like leaf blocks and, and things like that. Um, but I think this would be really, really cool. Can, can you, I, this is a kind of a silly question probably, but can you place pink petals on top of cherry blossoms? I don't think you can. I don't think they go on top of leaf blocks because yeah, a lot of stuff sense. can't be placed on leaf blocks to begin with. So I don't think these would necessarily be an exception stuff. to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I get, I, I'm woefully behind on all the cherry experimentation because like I, like we said before, it, it doesn't really go with Westill. So I've only got a limited of, uh, amount of experience with it. But I like how flexible they are. And I'm really looking forward to putting them in that, that graveyard on, on the Citadel because I think that's where I'm going to have some fun with decorating them around what i liked so much about them in the little bit of time i had with them this week was how quickly i could make the flowers in front of cosmic's collection area look random mm -hmm. yeah right like it, it you don't have to really think too hard about making things random when you can kind of like just spin yourself around a couple of ways click three or four times and be just like yeah looks like a patch of flowers like you know done uh, i really enjoy that aspect of them and i'm curious to play with them more it's something you can do. You can basically set up a five by five area of these pink petals in different formations, and it can still look organic compared to a five by five field of just dandelions, which just looks like you've planted 25 dandelions in a square. <laughs> yeah. That's that's really the difference that they give. Uh, well, folks, that's where we're going to cut things off for today. We do have one more listener email that we're going to address in the render distance. So if you're interested in hearing more emails with your Chunk Mail Dispenser episode, consider signing up to our Patreon. But that's going to be it for this episode. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today over at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, as we've been saying, consider putting some value back in over at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can listen to the show live if you're around when we record it every week our monthly minecraft audio hangout is coming up and we have all kinds of other patron events that you'll be interested in we currently have 311 patrons which is up two from last week and we also have to announce the addition of a new content engineer patrons this is our highest tier of patron support so we're always incredibly grateful and those people get a special thank you here at the end of the show so thank you to hunter555 Jumbo Sale, Party Voyager and Yitz and new edition Mind Trip Media. Thank you for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance. Shake them and tell them you should listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and YouTube. I mean, shake them friendly. Be nice about <laughs> it. Like, encur encur encouragement is, is encouraged. Yeah, I, I talk for a living. It's okay. Uh, if you would like to leave us a review on your favorite platform, that's also a great way to have the podcast reach new listeners. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. 
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft Survival Guide Season 3 is currently being uploaded Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. My Twitch channel is on hiatus while my PC is being repaired, but you can drop a follow at twitch.tv slash for when the streams resume. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I'm doing online is at joelduggan.com. That includes a link to the Citadel Cafe, my podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. I'm Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Everything is Minecraft except for Friday, where I'm nearing the completion of the Ecto-1 Ghostbusters vehicle build, and it has been very, very cool. Really happy with that. Uh, the rest of the time, I'm working on Westall, as you can imagine. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but the mail still arrives on time.